0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. What is cracking, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Catholics with Bibles. And this is huge, y'all. It's a big deal happening today. This is the, the beginning of a new era on Catholics with Bibles, and it's because I, for the first time in this year and a half podcast, have a co-host, and I'm gonna make him do it forever and ever and ever until the end of the world, and it's gonna be great. His name is Ryan Pollock. Ryan, what up, dog?
1: Hey, brother, it's great to be with you today.
0: Yeah, man, It's uh, so for everybody listening, tuning in, and maybe this is you tuning in for the first time, um, so we've been doing Catholics with Bibles since COVID, March of 2019, yeah? That was COVID? 2020. That's when uh, 2020. That's
1: when COVID came to our shores, I yeah. think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so we we started the podcast then. Um, and honestly, it was one of those things where at the parish, they just kind of looked at me and was like, Chase, you know how to do media stuff, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> They're like, can we just give you money and you do stuff? And I'm like... Sure. You
1: know, you're not the youngest staff member anymore. That's true. I don't true. think I might pass this off to somebody else. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: not I'm not as fresh and sprightly as I used to be. But uh, but it's also, it's, it's been fun. It's been awesome. Everybody who's been uh, listening to the show has um, been growing and it's been great. And so Ryan is relatively new to our parish. He's actually relatively new to the church in you, general.
1: You know what? Uh, August 1st, we completed... Um, one year in the Catholic Church, Man. so we're, uh, we're we're fresh off the boat, as you say. Fresh uh, off the boat, Catholic. It's been a wild, wild time to be Catholic, I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. Um, you don't want to hear me talk about how the virus makes things weird because... Everybody has a million stories about that, but uh, let's just say it was a wild time to join the church. But we're happy to be
0: here. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So, uh, if this this is your first time with the show, we always start with the Greek or Hebrew word of the day, and I say that with a very big grain of salt, as in sometimes I forget, and sometimes I just don't have one. But today we do, and so Ryan, hit us with this Greek or Hebrew word of the day.
1: Let's see. How about we do uh, "Vasilia," which is uh, Greek for kingdom? And if you look at the Gospels, you'll notice that. Jesus, whenever he talks about the gospel or the the good news uh, coming from God, his father, they're going to talk mostly about the kingdom, the kingdom of God being at hand, the gospel of the kingdom, all of that good stuff. Jesus in his person being and enacting the fulfillment of all these great promises that have been made to Israel throughout the centuries and millennia, so... That's a fun one. If you yeah, uh, if you have to memorize the Lord's Prayer in Greek, um, in your intro to Greek class, you're gonna get some oh, yeah. you're gonna get some Vasilias in there and some Vasilefs or or kings or rulers.
0: Yeah, for when I did Greek, they didn't really make us memorize anything in Greek. Um because oh. our, our professor was like, You're never gonna read coin or you're never gonna speak Koine Greek ever in your life. You're always gonna just be reading it out of the Bible. So like the way he tested us everything was just he had the Greek text in front of us and said translate. Hmm. and I mean eventually right that's not how we started but
1: we we did it all in modern sort of as a living language so we used oh, all of the modern pronunciations just with the koine text oh so my, interesting. my teacher was really cool and strange he would uh he would take like a big bag of toys and throw them on the floor and then like in greek call to people in the class and tell them to go pick up the gi joe or whatever and wave it up in the air in greek and then you could interesting so it, it was really fun as a result my Greek is actually much better than my Hebrew to this day because we got to have a lot of fun with it.
0: Well, my Hebrew is self taught, and so it's garbage. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> garbage. Yeah, that's right. Word. Um,
0: and so I, I bought the course from the same, uh, Bill Mounts is the guy. Yeah, Mounts. Um, yeah, Greek so. Greek
1: grammar and Hebrew grammar. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: the Greek we use, the Greek yeah. grammar we use. And so our professor was more of a, uh, what's it called? More of a guy who would make sure we were just using his text right. And so the, it was more of a like Socratic conversational workshoppy type classes the professor really wouldn't lecture on greek grammar i mean he would sometimes but we just use bill Mounts' stuff essentially um and uh and, and that might have been part of the reason why our professor was just like we're just going to read the bible because that's literally why you're taking this class is to read the bible mm-hmm. like uh because like corne greek nobody speaks corne greek like it's not sure, a thing sure. um, but anyway so that's cool um yeah so if everybody maybe just tuning in for the first time uh, it's always really important that we talk about Greek or Hebrew, at least uh, in the sense of um, knowing what the words are in the written language, in the primary language, right? And so a quote I love um, is actually, you know, St. Therese, I'm going to paraphrase it. She says, you know, she had, she was quoted saying, you know, how I wish I could pray with the Bible in the language it was written, right? Just because the, the more you know, the better you can pray to a certain extent, right? So um, knowledge is not something that's a hindrance to prayer. If it's done right, it can help can help your relationship with God, right? I even think about when I, the first time, and I probably talked about this on the show before, um, when the word blessed in English, right? Um, there's actually multiple words in Greek that can mean blessed. But I remember the first time I quote unquote discovered, um, I didn't discover this, but in my brain I discovered it. Um, when you look at makarios in Greek, right? Uh, so blessed, you know, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for there's the kingdom of God. Um, it's an adjective. It's, it's describing the state of the being of somebody who is something, right? But, When uh, Elizabeth greets Mary, uh, I think that the Greek is like Ilukemon or something like that. I just totally bridged the pronunciation. But anyway, but it's translated in English, blessed are you among women. But it's not makarios. It's not not an adjective. It's not describing the state of Mary. It's a verb in the... Is it... uh, past, present, or whatever tense of, it, it's something that happened in the pre- the past, but that's currently affecting your present reality, right? So when Elizabeth is talking to Mary, it's saying something happened to you in your past, it's currently affecting your present, your present, right? Namely, you were, you been blessed and that's affecting me, right? And so when I first saw that in the Greek, you don't get that in English. It's just, ble- it's blessed, you know, it's blessed, you know? Um, and so just those, and I was just like, man, yeah, like, and just praying with that with Mary, you know, it's a, uh, it's helpful. Not that everybody has to study Greek and Hebrew, but it's never hurt, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, at the same time, we we don't want to, we wouldn't want to be elitist about it. Or we no, wouldn't yeah. want to say that it has some, like, the, the, there's some folks that you hear sometimes talking about Hebrew and Greek as if they're these magical languages. No, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not as if a, a, a mastery of these languages, or, the, or even the biblical text, will just divine all of these ancient right. secret wisdom sayings to you or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, it doesn't make you holier. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I remember one time I was, I was in confession, and in my undergrad I was studying spiritual theology. So it's a study of how God communicates through us through prayer, right? And so you read a lot of church uh, doctors of the of the church, you know, spiritual doctors of the church. And so I was reading all these texts about, you know, how to live a virtuous life, how to be a moral person, how to grow in holiness, all these things. And I was in confession, I was just really angry. I was like, Father, why do I keep doing this thing? Like, I know better. I literally read about it every single day. And he looks at me, he's like, you know, knowledge doesn't like make you holy, right? Knowledge
1: puffs up. Yeah, that's right. Exactly.
0: That's right. And so I I remember in confession, I was just like, cut me deep. Cut me deep, Father. (laughs) Cut me real deep. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
0: But yeah, so on on the show today, so we've been going through this study. uh, We've been studying Politicizing the Bible, this book by Scott Hahn and Benjamin Weicker. Um, kind of seeing how historical criticism has kind of brought biblical interpretation way it is today. But we're taking a hard pause because Ryan's here and uh, we're kind of shifting gears a little bit. And I wanted to take this time, Ryan, for you to just kind of tell your story of how you kind of ended up in in the church, right? So you kind of tell us a bit of your background. I'm trying not to say anything that you were before. Um, to, yes, spoiler alert. Um, but yeah. So Ryan, just introduce yourself and and you know where, where how were you raised? Kind of how you came into the faith, all that good stuff.
1: Sure, I, I was raised a nominal Baptist in a family of lapsed Catholics. So, um, Dad's side wasn't terribly religious, but on my mom's side, everybody uh, actually got their sacraments at St. Louis. Here no, in town, way. not not far away from us <laughs> here at all, but. Uh, They were lured away by a particularly charismatic Baptist pastor once upon a time. And at least for my grandmother and my mom, uh, this was probably the first time, at least in their words, that they really understood what the gospel was. If Mm -hmm. If you talk to them about it, they'll say, yeah, we didn't really understand the Mass, and catechism was kind of boring, and it just seemed like dull, lifeless religion, the way that a lot of Protestant critiques work. And uh, I don't have any reason to disbelieve them. Like, their priest may have been a bad preacher and a bad right. catechist and all that stuff. So for whatever reason, they were lured away to the Baptist church. But as a result, we never uh, we never fit in culturally with the Baptists because we didn't think it was bad to drink alcohol or play cards. <laughs> or You could <laughs> dance? We could dance, right. <laughs> so we weren't fundies in that way. And so um, we were just never very good Baptists culturally. So I get to college. And uh, I'm a biblical studies major, probably our degrees, pro- undergrads probably have a lot in mm. common there, and uh, met the 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 lady who would become my wife. And um, she grew up uh, a little bit in non-denom circles and a little bit in Romanian Pentecostal circles, which is...
0: Romanian Pentecostal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't yeah. know that was a thing. It's
1: more puritanical and less exciting than American Pentecostalism. Oh my gosh. It's basically <laughs> just like the Romanians who thought that the... Uh, Orthodox Church in Romania had sold out to communism under Ceausescu, so they went and did They, they probably weren't terribly off. Protestant but I mean. <laughs> things. Yeah, they, they may have been quite right about a good yeah. bit of that. So, uh, But neither of us were terribly attached to our traditions, and so we thought, well, what church should we go to? Uh, if we're going to get married and um, live together under one roof, we probably had to go to the same church. It's not the case for everybody, but that's mm. what, what we wanted to do. And so there was a really lovely Episcopal church about a mile away from where we were living in Dallas at the time, and so we go there and we start plugging in, and really from the first time that we arrived, we thought, we can't go anywhere else. This is just, I mean, their liturgy was, was beautiful, and so for for people who are like lifelong Catholics and have not been to a whole lot of Protestant or Baptist services, you're going to have something like a hymn sandwich liturgy. So you're going to have three or four hymns at the beginning, and then you're going to have a sermon that goes from 30 to 45 minutes, even an hour in some places, and then three or four hymns at the end. So there's no like, there's no incense, and there's no candles, and mm-hmm. there's no processions. There's and no there's beauty. No, yeah, there's nothing beautiful about it. Yeah. So anything that's, uh, it's not to say there's no beauty, but like sure. there's beauty in the right teaching and preaching of the Word of God. But the aesthetic sense has been mm. totally robbed due to that radical wing of the Reformation.
0: Mm. Um, Iconoclast, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, huge <laughs> iconoclasm that happened. So we were bowled over uh, by the beauty of the Episcopal Church who had uh, preserved a lot of those things that in the Reformation the other uh, branches were content to throw away. Now, we came to find out that uh, we were part of a like high church or Anglo-Catholic stream of Episcopalian thought here. So these are folks who were going to the Catholic buffet and taking as many different things off of it as they could while trying to still remain Protestant. So it's, a, it's kind of weird how that works. But anyway, uh, I end up going to seminary um, in the Episcopalian tradition and thinking like, well, my, my, uh, my BA and BS, <laughs> Bachelor of the Arts in uh, Biblical Studies, like maybe this is the telos of it. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do is become an Episcopal priest. So um, I do that. I go to seminary, and I'm happily ordained afterwards for about three years until I come across the uh, the writings and the works of Saint John Henry Newman, and Newman, of course, Newman was... Newman gotcha. Newman, yep, <laughs> the old the old Newman gotcha. He uh, he did a lot of what I did. He he was thinking a lot of the same thoughts that I was thinking. And I had I learned about him earlier. The course of my life might have been really markedly different. But he has this theory called Branch Theory, where he says that the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, and the Eastern Orthodox Church, and the Anglicans. Are part of three branches of one tree called the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. And he tries to read the contemporary theology of uh, 19th century England in terms of the fathers and in terms of mm. the early church and all of that stuff. This is very controversial, and the Church of England gets very mad at him for this, but he says, we can, we can derive some sort of synthesis here. We can all get along. We're all really saying the same thing. So he starts writing all these books, and... Uh, A movement happens there at, at Oxford creatively called later the Oxford Movement. And, uh, <laughs> very creative. Creative <laughs> they, titles all around. Very, but their whole mission was, let's recover the Catholic aesthetic, and let's recover as much Catholic theology as we can, and let's stop being so Protestant. Like, What, what was this all for? Mm-hmm. Anyway, he eventually realizes that he's constructed a house of cards. He's made something that approximates and looks a lot like Catholicism, but at the end of the day is separated from the See of Peter, and that doesn't have all the sacraments. And even if you can convince a bunch of Anglicans to read Thomas Aquinas, you're not going to make them Catholic just right. by them agreeing and checking all of those boxes. Anyway, so he converts in 1845, um, and, and you can imagine like what the backlash would be if C.S. Lewis converted to the Catholic True, Church, or yeah. Billy Graham converted to the Catholic Church. He, he's, he's a giant public figure in that way, and so everybody's mad at him, and Rome doesn't quite know what to make of him. They're not sure if they can trust him, and all of his friends sort of abandon him or whatever. But uh, I realized that I was doing his same thing. I was trying to build this house of cards out of little bits of Catholic theology here and there and practice and sacraments without having the things that are essential. Um, So once I realized that I was doing that, once I realized that I was basically a a silly historical revisionist (laughs) (laughs) and that... uh, you know, I really truly believe that the Catholic Church is the one Jesus founded. I said, there's no reason for me to protest anymore. If I'm going to be a Protestant, I have, ought to have something to protest, and I just ran out of reasons to to not join. So,
0: so you were you were a full fledged Episcopalian priest, though. I was. Right? Yes, yeah, so you yeah. were. You were like in the thick of it I when you realized deep. all of this.
1: Right. Right. Right.
0: It's not like you were in seminary casually studying. It's you were you were out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I really believed in um, something like that Oxford Movement vision, that the Mm. best of Anglicanism is the extent to which it can uh, synthesize and adopt all of these Catholic practices in a particularly English way. But if you care about um, English Catholicism, you realize that there was always a Catholic church in England. It was suppressed, and people were martyred, and it was uh, outlawed at certain times, but there were always Catholics in England. There was always kind of an English way of doing Catholic Christianity, and it wasn't the Church of England. It was mm. the Catholics who had been driven underground. So now, of course, there is the uh, personal ordinariate of the chair of St. Peter, which is a group of Anglicans that appealed to Pope Benedict in, I think, 2010. And they said, hey, our church is doing some weird stuff. Um, they're changing. And, and the Episcopal Church, broadly, is mainline Protestantism. So sure. I was a part of a really, like, sort of conservative Catholic. You were, an Catholic, niche, you were an Yeah, I, I was a really, like, really, <laughs> yeah, a weird little tribe. But the church at large is basically mainline Protestant. And so a group of these Episcopal clergy, they wrote to Pope Benedict and said, hey, we'd love to come into the Catholic Church as a whole, like entire parishes, you know, mm. but we want to take our stuff with us. We want to take our prayer book and we want to take our uh, hymns and we want to take some of our traditions. And so Pope Benedict created something like a diocese called the Ordinariate, which allows uh, individuals or whole parishes to become a part of the Catholic Church and keep all of their Anglican goodies. He, mm. he calls them... Uh, you know, a treasured gift to be shared. Yeah. So, well,
0: because they they developed organically, right? I mean, it wasn't like they just like, I mean, ma- like when when the uh, the Church of England was founded, they essentially they didn't like just all of a sudden change everything in the liturgy. They just like, nope, Henry's the boss now, and like, you know, and so a lot of that stuff does have organic roots. Obviously, the translation had to happen, but after that, so I mean, th- yeah, definitely. The reason I think Pope Benedict was like, yeah, totally cool, it's because he you can look at the text and say, oh yeah, these are beautiful prayers, and like this is. This wasn't something that they just arbitrarily made up. It's like these developed from liturgy, like organically.
1: Yeah, so like at home, our family doesn't pray the Liturgy of the Hours. We pray the Book of Divine Worship, which hmm. is like the Liturgy of the Hours, but it's like the parts of the Anglican tradition that have been adopted by the Catholic. But it's like Church. Shakespeare. Uh, it sounds a lot like <laughs> there's, there's these and thous and thines and all that stuff. Um, so... Like, the Catholic Church has only been doing English liturgy since Vatican II. Right, um, yeah. But, but there's been uh, people trying to uh, pray using Elizabethan English for, you know, 500 years now. So there's yeah. this whole treasury of prayers and a whole liturgical tradition. And um, I still maintain the best music, the best Christian music, uh, certainly the best use of the Psalter and chant and things like that. Uh, so Anglicans, when they convert, when they finally come into to feel communion with the Catholic Church, have a lot of stuff— that the church says, yeah, we want that. Yeah, you that's know, great. So come on in. Yeah. So I guess, you know,
0: um, things are always interesting to me, especially on the show. Obviously, with Catholics with Bibles, we always talk about Bible stuff. So in, when you were a Episcopal, Episcopal priest, do you guys just rock that King James pretty hard? Or like, <laughs> like is that like the only Bible you used? No,
1: <laughs> no that's funny. <laughs> Uh, the King James uh, is is difficult to read aloud. It's difficult to understand, and uh, you know if you're not an English major, you can really have a rough time. Mm-hmm. So, um, most common probably is the RSV, and then the NRSV. Really? Yeah,
0: that's yeah. interesting. I mean, that's the Bible I use is well, the Catholic version of NRSV. Um, and is so, there a Catholic NRSV? Mm-hmm. That's the one I. It's it's over there. It's, oh, okay, it's over there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, in basically any study Bible nowadays within Catholic Church is, is RSV or NRSV. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, within the liturgy, they use the NAB, which is not great. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening to this and you have an NAB Bible, I'm not trying to insult you, but I am trying to tell you to, as lovingly as I can to, to buy an, another Bible. Um, <laughs> um, and maybe we can talk about that one day too, why I'm just not a fan of that translation. But anyway, um, so yeah. but then the Augustan Institute actually just this past year, released a Catholic ESV,
1: mm-hmm. which is super
0: interesting. So, my interesting n- m- my Greek English New Testament, which is just happened to be right in front of me, is an ESV New Testament, right? But the ESV Old Testament, traditionally, because it's Protestant, doesn't have the Catholic books, it's in the wrong order, all these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the Augustine Institute, I guess, teamed up ESV and they made a Catholic. ESV. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I haven't Uh, got it yet because my wife would kill me if I bought another Bible. But
1: well, the uh, the ESV everybody kind of knows it as the Calvinist Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, like the if you're like um who like uh, John MacArthur, John Piper, David Platt, like that whole gang. That's Mm -hmm. the um, young, restless, and reformed. That whole group. Like that's they use ESV. We use uh, we use RSV at home. Um,
0: Which is great. I I think it's a solid translation. There's like a few things like Old Testament wise and I'm like, maybe not so much. But like overall, I think as a a whole, I think it's pretty solid. Um, The ESV, the New Testament, my Greek English Bible. um, Yeah, there's definitely a few points where I'm like, "Mm, that's not how you interpret that. That's not how you should (laughs) translate that word. So you can tell like, and this is something that I think, you know, the average lay person or the average priest even that hasn't studied Greek and Hebrew. They don't have a Greek English New Testament. You just, you you take the translator's word that this is just what the word is, right? Like you're just taking the publisher's word that this is actually what all these words mean, right?
1: Now, is this an ESV study Bible that you're looking at?
0: No, it's just straight up Greek English. Okay, gotcha, Um, gotcha. And so it's one of those things where when you, and this is the beauty of knowing Greek and Hebrew, you have the advantage of looking at the original text, looking at the context of it and say, okay, it can be translated this way or it could be translated this way. Because the thing when you, for everybody who's never going to study Greek in your life, it's cool. But um, a lot of times one Greek word can mean like two, three, four, or five different things. And then you discover the meaning of the word in its context, right? Which can be super annoying when you first learn Greek because you're like, what does that mean? And the professor is going to say, well, what's the context? What do you think works best? And then it's a bit of a judgment call at times as I think it should mean this, right? Um, and then you have, you know, the, the I think that my biggest critique of the the New Testament ESV is, um, uh, well, one of them just comes to the top of my head is there 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 when they mess with the word pistis faith right because um, then sometimes they... faith of faith in yeah or faithfulness and, yeah, right. instead of just faith right, right? Yeah. so like when you, you look at like the 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 gifts of the Spirit you know you have you know love hope peace joy faith gentleness self control all these things in Galatians five right um, but. The, the ESV and a lot of bibles they they translate the pistis as faithfulness right mm-hmm. but it's just faith it's just pistis it, it it's not it like uh, the gift of the spirit is faith that's a gift of the spirit faithfulness is it's that's a different word to a certain extent right so little things like that as like somebody who has it you can say mm. nah and you know not so much that's why like i always people get the catholic nrsv or rsv just cuz like overall i think it's a solid translation um mm-hmm. and a lot mm. of people i guess the average layperson, they, I don't think they really need to care about proper translation. But at the same time, it's, I think it's always interesting to, you know. Yeah, know. It, it
1: just depends on how deep down the rabbit hole you want to go. But a good study Bible will, uh, will show you when there's a word like that that's been, there's been some contention around yeah, it. Yeah, that's draw true. Out different interpretations. And if it's a good Catholic one, they'll be like, here's the range of options that Catholics yeah. or like you, have, have here.
0: Have you ever used the Ignatian Catholic Study Bible? I don't think so. So Scott Hahn was part of that team, um, and so uh, that's the, so they have a New Testament Ignatian Catholic Study Bible, and it's kind of a monster, like it's just big, like you know, it's meaty, um, but it's actually really good. It's like Orthodox, solid content. Um, Their Method C exegetes, so they really they. They'll use the tools, the historical critical method, and
1: Bishop Barron's new series that he, uh, his new yeah, Bible that yeah. he's coming out, that looks really cool. I have, so that's I have the Gospels. A, it's going to take up a whole bookshelf when it's finished, yes. but uh, yeah. it's it's super cool. So
0: I actually used, um, I, my wife and I own the Gospels. His first one, it's actually it's great. He uses the RSV or the NRSV. Um, that's like the main translation. So that Bible, he didn't mess with translation. He just added all the commentary, commentary. the pictures, yeah. which is beautiful. Um, I actually have all my, our Confirmandi, like they have to buy the Bible, like, cool. and use it. Um, and so and he, I think the cool thing about that project, he's just trying to make the Bible beautiful, which I respect. Like,
1: we called them Confirmands in the Episcopal Church. Con, con, you calling them Confirmandi? That's cool. Yeah. It's, yeah I'm, um, in, I'm into that.
0: Yeah. I don't, is, I, don't even, is that the, I don't even actually know the original Latin. Is Confirmand? I don't know. Yeah, probably who, some, who something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, well, that's awesome. Yeah, because I'm always curious, like, what Bibles everybody uses, because there's so many out now, there.
1: If you ask an Anglican what the best Psalter is, they're all going to tell you the same thing, and that's the Coverdale Psalter. So. I don't even, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, Miles Coverdale did an early English translation of the Psalter, which uh, has been kind of the backbone of prayer book spirituality for the past 500 years or so. So you'll read in the Psalms something. It, it's, it's like... Um, how to describe it? It's a little bit. It's very King Jamesy, but it's more readable. So,
0: would you use the the Hebrew numbering or the Greek?
1: Now that I can't remember, yeah. I have to go look that up. But you'll you'll hear something like, um, "Like as the heart desireth the water brooks, so longeth my soul after thee." So you would have to look up what heart is, and, <laughs> and you realize it's a deer, and you're like, "Oh, as the deer pants for the water." Oh, okay, yeah, I get yeah, it. I get yeah. it. But, well, uh, and that's
0: the thing. Like you have, and you have these. Like I don't know if you've seen this, like, these. Um, these modern, like they're literally titled Modern American Bibles or something like that. Like when you go to like a Christian bookstore, they'll have these like translations and you look at them and they're trying to Literally put the Bible into what they perceive as modern American like language, right? <laughs> and then it's problematic because you're just getting so far away from the the literal interpretation, right? Just to make it quote unquote sound. There was a,
1: there was a a, a hip hop book of common prayer once upon a time that came out in the 90s. And Dope. It was it was, a, it was a bunch of like 80 year old white dudes in New York, <laughs> and they were like. What do the the youths on the street, how do they speak? We will create a prayer book for them. And it's about as funny as you can imagine.
0: Oh, my god! But
1: I don't mind a good modern translation, especially when they try to, um, you know, they're not aiming for literalism. They're really aiming for readability and, and understanding. So they'll say something like, the Holy Spirit is... God's down payment on our future salvation. Like, that's, you know, th- that's something that is, uh, it's not beautiful to read, but it really yeah, gets the idea sure. across. I, g-
0: I guess, I, my thing is, is I think that's a good starter Bible, but it's something where you don't, we don't want people ending there. Sure. Right? Because then you get, you just lose some of the meaning, right? So yeah. like, even, and that's, and, that, and that's, this is the way I was formed, um, by good old Bill Mounts, um, was just like, you do your best you can to make a wooden, literal, literal, translation and it's going to sound awful in English sure. and get that right and then say okay now how do we make this readable while keeping it as close to the original text as we can right yeah. um without like overly modernizing it
1: well know? and look you I mean everybody has the internet go on go on to biblegateway.com and you can look that's at true. every translation in the world all side by side and you don't have to pay for any of it so that's true um just figure out which one is that you like best and then uh, call it email chase that's right and ask if it's (laughs) what do you think about this one what do you think about this Uh one
0: uh well awesome so uh ryan suggested a potential new book that we're going to dive into and neither of us have really read this book but we're just going to dive into it and start talking about in the podcast over the next couple weeks totally forgot the name what was the name ryan it's
1: called the unseen realm unseen realm by michael heiser
0: michael heiser and he's uh he's like a Semi-mainline Protestant
1: guy. No, he's a he's a sort of uh, evangelical non-denom kind of a guy. Oh,
0: gotcha. Yeah, okay, yeah. I literally just read the intro, and you're right. He was raised semi-mainline. He was on the mainline, and then now he is. Sorry, I I read the intro literally early this morning, and I already forgot it. Um, it's gonna be good. This gonna be a good study. No. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. And so my gist of the book is. Um, so you might be asking, like, why are you talking about a Protestant author on Catholics with Bibles? Uh, and I guess for a few reasons. Um, one, I just don't think we should ever be scared of reading non-Catholic texts because we, if we're, if we're well-formed intellectually, which I think Ryan and I are, um, then you can read it. You can <laughs> right, hopefully, um, you can read, a, a, a non-Catholic text, take the good and filter out the the garbage. And we're probably going to talk about both of those things. Right. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think it's gonna be an interesting book. Um, he's trying to read really kind of re scripture away from the rationalistic tendencies of some Protestant schools of thought. That's kind of the vibe I've got.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, well, and you see this in Catholic circles, too. Like, how can we make these ancient texts appeal to the modern man? This is Thomas Jefferson's great project, right? Well, mm. we'll just take out all the stories about miracles. Right. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. modern, sophisticated people can't believe in miracles. So you got to snip all that out. Darn deist. Uh, <laughs> so, so Catholics can fall prey to that kind of stuff, too. Uh, I, I think it's interesting because it tries to it tries to re-mythologize the Bible, not that the Bible needs re-mythologizing, sure. but if, if we're going to get away from that distinctly American rationalistic spirit, which says, well, we just have to... Um, every every miracle is sort of a symbol for a deeper inner right. truth or something Jesus like Jesus
0: didn't that. multiply loaves and fishes. He inspired people to share. Yeah, it's right. like, oh my so, gosh, stop it. <laughs> if
1: we're going to get like all that boring junk out of our system, it would be good for us to consider a world in which... Uh, what does Charles T- Taylor say? That's, that's enchanted. Yeah. yeah a, a world full of um, magic and mysticism and demons and angels. And this is very much the world that the Bible belongs to.
0: It's awesome. Well, I think it's going to wrap up today's episode of Catholics with Bibles. My name is Chase.
1: My name is Brian.
0: Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time. God bless. All right, everybody, thank you so much again for joining us this week on Catholics with Bibles. We're going to be diving into that new study with our new co-host, Ryan. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. God bless.